Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Also, Wilsey Asset Management is the proud investing partner of the San Diego Padres this year. So proud to be a part of the Padres. Also, too, uh, we've got a lot to talk about here on the show today. We've got to talk about the retirement investment rule. Gosh, some of these things you cannot believe that are coming out. Uh, gas prices, the solution to gas prices, not really. More regulation coming down the road. And also home sales, not quite what the media made it out to be. They talked about the good part, but I kind of feel they left out the downside there. But we got a lot to talk about. Uh, with me also is uh, Chase. Chase, uh, what do you got else going on today? Well, I, I got to say, change up the intro on me. I wasn't ready for that. I know. Well, <laughs> I, I keep forgetting. You mean about the Padres? Yeah. Yeah, I, I keep forgetting to announce that because that's big. I mean, we'll, we'll be advertising all in the Padres Stadium and kind of a cool thing to be part of the investing partners, as we're called, with the uh, San Diego Padres. Yeah, I'm definitely excited for Padres season to get rolling here. Gosh, that's already next week. <laughs> yeah, it's next week. Uh, are you going to the opening day game? I, I think my boss is making me work. <laughs> uh, no, because it's Friday. No, see. opening day is Thursday. Thursday. Oh, okay, because we got invited Friday to the yeah. Padre Suite, but you can't go because you got friends coming into town, but I can go. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go I'll go another so, day. Be so we're on the second I'm going to the second opening day. Yeah, I guess if you want to call that. <laughs> but also do you wanna join the show here? Phone number is eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Again, eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. There to take your calls. You wanna call in about a company? I'll tell you right now. I think it's a pretty darn good time to start looking at some good businesses with yes. all this volatility. So, you know, uh, I, I think it's important to make sure you're analyzing those companies, not just jumping in because things are all over the place right now in terms of the volatility. And, and, and this is the time that you want to be looking at investing and starting to buy the right companies. And don't think that you're going to buy today and then tomorrow like, oh, yeah, I made money. I mean, when we invest in something, we are looking down the road 18, 24 months. And if we buy it, it goes down. Of course, we're not thrilled with that, but that's not our intent. We're saying, where will this business be down the road? Uh, many times, two, three, four years. Uh, so when you call in, that's what we're looking at. Not like, oh, this is a great trade. Trading, in my opinion, is for losers because there's no one that's traded their entire life that's done well. Most of the times, they end up. You know, it's funny. I got the, I did a post on uh, Instagram about trading yeah and somebody commented like oh like what about george soros and i kind of looked into george soros a little bit he did have one big trade that made him like a billion dollars in terms right. of uh, i think he shorted like the the, the pound in right. the uk but even now i kind of look at him and he still holds things and i, I don't agree with a lot of what george Soros yeah, does whole, to begin with right. <laughs> but you still look at his 13f i mean he still holds companies i i wouldn't call him a day trader by right. any means oh. he just took a very leveraged bet on a quick trade that happened to make him a lot of money yeah, maybe that was luck. And, and I still say it's like when people go to Vegas, they tell you about the winners. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, I won at the blackjack table and so forth. Same thing with traders. They'll tell you when they won. They don't tell you about all the negs they do. When you look at their performance, 
Many times it's terrible, yeah. you know, but it's, and, it, and I will say it's a lot more exciting than what we do because we buy something. We're not going to, you know, trade on it. Although we do get excited about what the business does. That's the exciting part. But trading is like gambling. So, And I'll tell you too, though, the hard part is, you know, sometimes you buy something and it goes down 20%. Yeah. You know, well, what are you going to do? Well, if it's good business, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, maybe if we have a little more cash and it's not overweighted, maybe we'll add to that position as well. So, you know, as you said, it's it's not sexy, it's not exciting, but it, it, it works long term. And it, it makes me think of a story you were talking about. We can actually give the numbers here because it's not something we did. Right. But I think it was Peter Lynch, right, that, yeah. that he bought Wendy's Ta or Taco Bell. Taco Bell. I always mess up which fast food restaurant. So I'll <laughs> let you tell the story. Well, uh, and, and yeah, this was years ago. And he, he, he bought Taco Bell. I think it was around $70 a share. It went all the way down to $4 a share. And he, go, and he goes, I, I, I just don't know why. It, it makes no sense why this is at $4 a share. There, there's no reason for it to be at $4 a share. That happens with, with investing because investing is not always – logical and we look at the fundamentals the fundamentals don't play true every single day so you could have times where again you have a company that goes down 30 40 50 60 percent oh that's like 80 percent 80 percent well 80 percent yeah. i mean it was, it was a huge that's loss. a crazy example and, and, and that was I, I think that was during 73 74 during a very strange time but but again he held it and it came around and, and went back up again so it's about the business. It's not about the stock price. And that's and where people do poorly. Look and at he the made money price. off the 70. Oh, yeah. yeah. He bought it at 70 and he, he yeah. held it through exceeding 70, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he was very famous for having these great returns on, on the Magellan Fund. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't do it by trading. No. He did it by buying businesses. And he had a lot of businesses because that was a huge fund back when he was running it for the time. I mean, now today it's, it's not as big. But you look back of. Gosh, that was 50 years ago now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's you've got to look at the business. Stop looking at the stock price because the stock price is going to cause you to do the wrong thing, uh, to, to think that's the value of that company, and that's just somebody getting out of it. And who knows why? They could be trading it. They could be like, oh, I need money. You, you know. So don't look at that. That's why we do well long term because we look at the fundamentals. We don't panic when something goes down 20%, 30%. We've had companies drop even more than that. We don't panic. Sometimes we'll step in and buy more of it. Yeah, and I will tell people, and I always use this caveat when we have this conversation. I've talked yeah. about this before on the show, but if things are going down, don't just say, oh, well, Brent and Chase said don't sell because, you know, look at the business. Well, if you don't know why you hold the business, that right. could be a problem. If it traded at 50 times earnings and now it trades at 30 times earnings, yeah, I, I still might consider, or I would sell that if I held it. You got to know why you hold something in these types of environments because you could have a bad business, maybe like Silicon Valley Bank, and oh, it went down, it'll be fine. Right. Oh no, definitely not fine. You got to know why you hold something, what it's worth, and what will it look like going forward. And obviously, you, you can't always project the future, but you you can know if something is overpriced, if it's a bad business, if they have issues occurring. Yeah, you got to know the stories behind it. You can't just say, oh, well, I, I use Amazon. So, yeah, I, I know the business. Right. And, That's and, a dangerous. And, and that is very important because you, you, you bring it up. And, and, again, we do our Monday numbers every Monday going over all the numbers of all the companies. We, we listen to quarterly conference calls. We look at the financial statements. Uh, we, we see if something is coming out in the news about the company. So we, we do know these businesses very well. But you're right. If you just have Amazon, you say, well, I like shopping there. I get pretty good prices. I'll just buy more. We'll pick it on Amazon. But – that's not, you don't know enough to step in and buy more of that company. And if you're just doing that, you are 
kind of gambling. It, it, it's hard. You got to do the research to really understand it. But um, well, let's move on because we could talk all show about oh, that, trying to get people on the right track. But this is a good time to be looking at buying uh, and, and actually kind of let people know we are pretty much fully invested. We made a big buy, what, $20 million I think we bought of uh, equities on um, Wednesday, was it? Thursday? I believe it was Thursday. Thursday, yeah. Wednesday so, or Thursday. This week just yeah. blurred. Gosh. I, I know. Wednesday or Thursday. Wait, this week. We'll leave it at that. You're only going to be 30. Your time doesn't go fast until you get to be above 60. What's happening there? My boss just keeping me busy over <laughs> here, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> we got a lot of great things going on. Let's talk about what's going on in the financial world here. Uh, retirement investment rule. We got to talk about this one. I was disappointed to see uh, Joe Biden veto the resolution to overturn a retirement investment rule that allows managers of retirement funds to consider the impact of climate change and other environmental, social, and governance factors when picking investments. Biden says he signed the veto because legislation passed by the Congress would put at risk the retirement savings of individuals across the country. <laughs> and I, I look at it and I, I got to say, unfortunately, I think the veto actually does the opposite. And you, you know which bank had a really good ESG score? I know, I, yeah, I'm going to let you say, but I know who it was. <laughs> Silicon Valley Bank. They they were crushing it at ESG, but I, I don't think they were that good at banking, unfortunately. Yeah, they had the ESG manager, uh, but no risk manager. So good good move there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I believe if fund managers want to consider ESG when investing, then they can go for it. But I worry this will allow them to hide behind poor investments, like again a Silicon Valley bank, in the name of ESG investing. It, it just, it's something that you know. I'm not saying that oh, you know, it's wrong. Like you need to be invoicing, investing in oil. I'm like, I, I would invest in oil because right. I think it, it, it's profitable. But if you you don't believe in that oil trade, you can still make money doing other things. But ESG can be a component of your research, but you have to fully look at the company as well. Right. You've got to make sure the fundamentals are there. You can't just say, wow, they're great at ESG. And I worry that with this passing of the legislation, that managers can just kind of hide behind that and they'll pick stocks. It's like, oh, we picked a solar company. Well, what's their debt? Oh, it doesn't matter. They're doing great <laughs> for the environment. That is a very, very right. dangerous road to go down. Yeah. And, and also, too, it is great for the environment, but you're still buying a business and you don't buy a business that, again, has high debt and so forth, that business could go under. The name will still be around, but all the shareholders will lose all their money. So, and if you want to do ESG investing, which stands for what? Environmental, socially, governance? Is that what it stands for, I think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we know the concept. Um, you, you know, go for it. But actually, in reality, if you want to really do true ESG investing, there's very few companies you can really invest in because Every company has something going on somewhere if they're big enough that you want to get into. You know? Well, that and it's, you know, it's funny when you look at a lot of these ESG funds, you can always poke holes in, in arguments. And, yeah. you know, you, you kind of look at, I, I believe Apple many times is an ESG company. Well, they, they do a lot in China. I'm yeah. not going to say China has the, the friendliest. <laughs> what? They're, the, they're not China? They're not friendly? Communist the friendliest country? labor laws. You know? <laughs> and it's just kind of funny when you look at this, and, it, and a lot of these ESG funds, too, they, they way overcharge for it. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, we charge 1.5% for a mutual fund in ESG. Wow. Yeah, I'm just being you right. know, kind of pointing out. I've seen ones that do charge that, that right. high of a, 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 a management fee on it. And you kind of look at their holdings, and it's not much different than, let's say, the S&P 500. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of look at it, and it's like, 
well, where's your value add? Oh, well, we make sure it's ESG. Right. And I, I think it's a bunch of BS, and I think it's a, a way that these big Wall Street banks kind of make money off of the the small investors that say, oh, I, I care about the environment. And, you know, I, I just, I think people get ripped off many times in the name of ESG. Yeah, and I've often said Wall Street's great at making money for Wall Street. They've come out with so many things over the years. You, you look back and anything's hot, they come out with it because they're selling to the public is what they're doing and they convince the public they're doing well. That's why many times Wall Street makes a lot more money than the small individual investor, which is why we do well at our firm because that's who we want to talk to as an individual investor. And I'm going to say a pretty strong statement here. I think ESG sure. is a load of crap. I, <laughs> okay. I, and I, I'd say something else, but you know, it, it is a load of crap because when you look at it, most companies now, they produce these reports. No company comes out and says, hey, we hate the environment. Right, you know? right. <laughs> yeah, we're polluting the ocean and killing all the. Nobody has that statement. They're always talking about what they're doing. And I'd say most companies now, when you look at investing in them, they have that kind of statement about how they're helping. Even energy companies, right. even oil companies, they talk about how they're trying to fight climate change and doing these things. It's just funny how these these ESG investors are, are looking at it. And it's like, oh, no, I do ESG. As in, there's no company out there that talks about how they use child labor and you know it, it just it blows my mind I, I think last week i went on a rant about the merchant fees that companies charge for credit cards you're on a rant on the environmental ESG, and and i don't think the funds overall do as well <clears throat> you know i think long term they won't i think they've ridden kind of that wave of you know biden signed the inflation reduction act so you had like a lot of solar companies do well so i, I think they've kind of gotten a little bit of a boost but i think long term you're right especially if you look at the fees that are within there i i just i don't think they're a good place to be and i i think it's not great for the investor yeah <clears throat> well, let's talk about another topic that probably get you up and going as well, which is what is California's solution to the highest gas price in the U.S.? Hmm. More regulation. I don't understand what these lawmakers look at. The bill will allow the state to set a maximum gross gas line refining margin and penalize any California-based refiner that exceeds that margin. The bill also allows for a new watchdog agency and politicians say the legislation creates new transparency over refinery shutdowns transactions that compose a crucial spot market where retail prices are set, export and import activity, pipeline activity, and other aspects of the industry. I'm shaking my head as I'm saying this. <laughs> <laughs> there will also be a new ledger that will be kept for transactions on the gasoline spot market, and regulators will have to be informed of all trades. I'm not sure why these California politicians believe that refiners are only screwing over their state. Maybe they should look at the excessive regulations and taxes as a reason for higher prices. The easiest way to help prices would be to encourage supply. I, I can't say that this bill does that. Yeah, and, and, and I just think, like, Governor Newsom, please, go to, go to school, learn economics. What, what could very well happen here? Refiners say, and, and again, we talk about this in the office, this is the gross margin. Because I was thinking, well, okay, well, they got to hire more people to that. No, that's not, that's just an added expense to that. They could come out actually losing money here. Mm -hmm. So a refiner's going to say, you know what? We're leaving. Yeah. We, we can't make money in California. We're leaving. Now see what gas prices does. And then Newsom, well, we we got to get a new committee to understand why they're leaving. I, I, the, sometimes, now you got me going. I know. <laughs> the, the, the stupidity of, politicians when it comes to the economy how they destroy things thinking they can fix things with regulations it, it just boggles my mind and and again we've had this conversation especially now kind of with the financial situation that that we're for regulation 
but smart regulation. Yes. And, yes. and this is not smart regulation. And it, as I said, I mean, you look at a, a state, I think Mississippi or, or one of those states in the South, they have the lowest gas prices right now in the country. They don't do any of this. No. And we have the highest standards. And I was talking to Harrison, our financial planner, will be joining us shortly about we go back and forth with Hawaii and who has the highest gas price. Right now, when I checked yesterday, we had the highest gas price in the nation. Hawaii's an island. Yeah, they don't produce any <laughs> oil at all. It's got to be transported in by ships. <laughs> it's it's mind-blowing that we're even in the conversation with yeah. having the highest gas price. And, again, you look at the, the taxes that we pay. It's over 50 cents per gallon. Well, that's an easy way to bring us back down to the national average and all the excess regulations that we put on it and the requirements for the refiners i i just don't know why we need a committee to understand why we have the highest gas prices and it's not rocket science yeah and again we waste more money on it because now we create another group and another watchdog agency we drive with the cost now the reason we listed all this stuff is because this is what the companies have to do yeah not refine oil into gasoline they now have to comply with all of this that takes a lot of time that costs them money. And as you said, if I'm a business person, like, ah, I just, you know, we're, we're making, you know, 10 cents on the dollar in California before we like right. have all the other expenses. I, it's just not worthwhile for us to have business there. I'd rather invest in other places where I can make more money. Yeah. And then all of a sudden what happens is now you have less supply in the state. Demand wouldn't decrease. No. You have higher prices. Yeah. And and that's what it, supply demand always comes back to that. And and I, I'm going to send Newsom a quick note. Look at supply demand. That's it. If he understands that concept, he'll say that maybe regulation is not good. And I understand what they're trying to do, but you, you just put so much pressure and regulations and expenses on these refiners. And there's a lot less refiners than there used to be even I think 10 years ago. Yeah. And it's not going to get better doing this. It's like the homes in LA. Why are you going to buy a home? Well, I think yeah. that's the next topic. Well, I haven't done that yet. <clears throat> That'll be next week. Okay. Well, next week. Okay. So we'll discuss that more. But but it, it just makes no sense to me. It does not lower the prices. It's, it's going to increase the prices more. Um, I, I just want to like slap. No, I, I shouldn't say that. I just want to wake up Newsom and say, what are you doing? Well, it's just it's the demonization of corporate America that is just... It's, we should be cheering on corporations. Corporations yes. employ people. They they provide services. They provide products. And, and yes, sometimes there are bad actors. But for the most part, these are not bad people. They're not bad corporations. And I said, don't get me wrong. I, I'm, that's not a blanket statement. Right. Not everyone's good. <clears throat> no. But for the most part, there's a lot of good actors out there. And you can't just lump them all together and, and demonize it because it, it it's really bad, in my opinion, for the country. Can you imagine if the government took over all the corporations? Oh, we'd be screwed. Exactly. So, I mean, corporations, you, you, you've got to have some rules that have to be followed. But you can't keep trying to force things down because you're going to make it worse. you got to come back to, again, the very simple concept of supply and demand. If you make the, the supply harder to create and demand doesn't change, you're going to have big problems. Yep. That's what we're going to have with, with uh, yeah. And making this more about investing too is I, yep. I do think, I continue to think that energy prices, I think they've taken that kind of hit lower. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the energy prices go back up again. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's, yeah. I don't think they're going to go much lower. And, and, and that's why, you know, we talk about this because, again, you know, you own a refiner, you own a oil company, this is going to change dynamics because California is not a little state. No. I mean, uh, you know, a pretty big state and you start changing the 
the supply through California, it's going to affect the oil markets. Yeah. You know? So we'll, we'll see, but it's not good news coming out from uh, Sacramento. Let's talk about uh, home sales because when looking at the headline for existing home sales, some may be excited as they spiked 14.5% uh, compared uh, to the month of January. Uh, looking last, uh, looking compared to last February, though, existing home sales were 22.6% lower. Uh, the main home price also saw its first year-over-year -year decline in 131 months, or nearly 11 years. It was a minor decline of just 0.2%, but I, I do believe that the decline will be larger in the upcoming months, especially as we lap those high price gains from last year. But supply continues to be, remain problematic with just 980,000 homes for sale at the end of February. This continues to produce an imbalanced market with just 2.6 months of supply at the current sales pace. Normally, a balanced market is considered six months. I've even seen people now, since it's been so low for so long, say four to six months right. is a balanced <clears> market. <throat> but I still do not see a major decline in rates, and I believe the housing market will continue to struggle in 2023. Yeah, I know Harrison's going to talk about his topic when he comes up as home buying versus renting, so I'm curious his uh, opinion on that. But it's just, I mean, I, I, I just can't see a reason to buy a home in this market right now because, you know. You know, and I, it's funny, I saw this real estate thing on uh, Instagram yesterday, and they were talking about the decline in home prices. They're like, well, if you look at the Case-Shiller price index, it's actually up 5.8%. And I looked at the last release for the Case-Shiller price index. It was February 28th. So they didn't have the February numbers yet. Oh, so, okay. again, you got to be really careful when you look at information because it's, you can pick and pull different items. And, you know, and I, I did get a, a, a you know a a good sense of feedback from somebody right. talking about how their a median could be skewed if you're selling more lower priced homes and higher priced homes which is a good good point you'd have to look at it a little bit closer but overall i mean you look at zillow i see price cuts all the time on homes around the county oh, around yeah. the, the country and it's i personally just don't see home, home prices going up over the next year and I didn't notice in the reports. I, I, again, it was really hype. Like, wow, they spiked fourteen point five percent compared to the previous month, with, month, which was January. I did not hear many say about, but and they were twenty two point six percent lower from the previous year. Yeah, you didn't hear that number, and I was kind of surprised. Like, that sounds kind of biased where they're trying to spike the market up and like, oh, everything's great again. No, your you, you, sales are not that great. So, and I continue to believe too. I mean, we talk about the 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 mortgage rates. Right now, I think they, they did dip again for the second week in a row. I think they're around 6.4% is where they are, but it, it's a little misleading on that rate as well because people are buying points. So it's not right. like if you go to the bank and say, hey, I, I want a 30-year mortgage, and it's like, oh, great, no money down, 6.4%. <laughs> There's other fees and stuff that come out of it. And I heard something funny say as well, like, oh, well, people are getting used to the 6%. It doesn't matter if you're getting used to it. You may not qualify <laughs> or have the money. <laughs> and the money, yeah. So it's like, well, I'm okay with six percent, but oh, what? Because the, the payment's going to be a lot higher than it was three percent. Yeah. And that, as we talked about, that's kept a lot of people out of the market that could qualify at three percent that can't qualify for that house at six percent. So one or two things has to happen: either the price of the home has to come down, or interest have to come down. Yeah. And it, I think, again, we've kind of made our opinions quite well known, I'm going to say, on on this whole banking crisis, we'll call. Well, mm -hmm. I, I, I did the air quotes for crisis because I, I no think No one can see that radio. I know, chase. I know. That's why I had to, <laughs> to announce it, is I, I still don't see it being a Lehman moment. I still don't see no. it being a contagion. I mean, you look at these big banks, 
they are so strong and people are like, yeah, but the big banks had to bail out, you know, the other small banks in 2008. But the difference was they needed like government assistance many times to actually do the bailouts. Right, right. This time, I, I don't think it's going to spread to a bunch of different banks. And the big banks are strong enough. I don't think they need government help. Right. And, and Jason, actually, we have a lot more in our newsletter that goes out on Fridays at uh, 5 o'clock uh, about the big banks, about real estate, about the job market, many different things there. It is a newsletter that we compile everything together. It is free. Just go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Right in the middle of the page, you'll see newsletter. Click on that. You sign up for it. It'll go out every Friday. Uh, we get a lot of people who really like that news. I think, oh, it's really a great, uh, great topic. We, we, and we spend a lot of time putting that together because it's what we read and look at to understand managing money. And we share our thoughts with our newsletter subscribers uh, on what we're thinking. Yep. So it's, yep. it's uh, again, free newsletter at uh, our, our uh, uh, website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting 2000 Com. And I for, oh, go ahead. I did want to say just real quick, my sure. whole point of that side sidebar on the banks was I don't think the mortgage rates, they're kind of benefiting from this this concern in the market right now over the banks is if it does come to a resolution as we believe it, well, I, I think mortgage rates will go back up. So Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, yeah, I, I believe that as well. Uh, through all that talk, I forgot to give out, oh, you gave it out in the beginning, uh -huh. but I forgot to give it out again to remind people that the phone lines will be open now. Uh, you want to call in for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Got a, a, an equity you're looking at investing in. You're not sure if it's a good one, a bad one, or maybe you have one you're thinking, oh, I don't know, should I hold on to this? Should I sell it? What should I do? Should I buy more? That's what we're here for. We'll go over the fundamentals of the equities that you hold. Hold again. We call them equities. They're stocks. That, uh, you may call them that. But the phone number is here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288. Two eight eight zero nine seven three, and Chase, we do get a lot of podcast listeners who actually submit their questions through our website, which you can do that as well. So if you don't want to come on the air, or, or you, you do listen to the podcast and you, you can't get to call us during the show, uh, you can go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, at smartinvesting2000.com and send us a question by email. And that's what uh, Jason did here. He said, "Good morning. Listen to the Smart Investing." podcast weekly. I've been a long-term holder of MPW Medical Property Trust. I am retired and love off dividends. Months ago, this company looked pretty solid and dividend looked safe. With the re recent fall of MPW, I'm hoping you can analyze this company and make a determination of the safety of this dividend going forward. It is currently 3.8% of my total portfolio. Knowing I live off dividends, should I add to this position? to lower cost basis and take advantage of the inflated dividend or sell for a loss and move on. Thank you, Brent and Chase. I've been listening for years, have tried to follow your advice, retired at 43, so I can vouch for your expertise. Thank you both. Well, all right, Jason, so so let's look at uh, MPW. You gotta, oh, I, I just, we can still do it, but I know Jason sent the email before last weekend, and I believe we covered MPW last weekend. Did somebody call on that last week? Yeah. So I just, we can still do it, but I know we have another email there. I just don't want to. Uh, you, you know, I, I think we'll still do it because perhaps we have listeners this week that we have last week. So, okay. so we'll, we'll we'll do it again because I I want and maybe Jason didn't listen last week. So this was specifically for Jason and for people as well uh, that we can look at. So let's pull up the num the numbers on MPW that is Medical Property Trust. Um, I do see there in the industry of. Let me pull up the information here. 
real estate investment trust healthcare facilities. Uh, now we do see a big short on this, 26.2%, 85% institutional owned. Listen to these numbers here. PE ratio, five versus 34.8. Price of sales, 2.9 versus 4.4. Price to book value, tangible book value. These are tangible assets, land, building, equipment, things of that nature, 0.5 versus 9.1. That means you're paying 50 cents on the dollar for the tangible assets of MPW. Price of cash flow, 6.1 versus 14.5. Peg ratio, the lower the number, the better, 1.0 versus 37. So valuation ratios, we can check that off. That looks pretty good. Earnings per share growth over the last year, up 35.1%. Industry down 19.7. Sales growth, eh, they were about flat. They were down 0.1%. Industry was up 12.8. Five-year estimated growth rate by the analysts, they go to MPW 7.1%. I will say that's half what the industry is at 14.6, but it's not a decline on the five-year growth. It's still looking for an increase. Dividend yield right now, wow, 15.4%. Payout ratio, 77.3%. Uh, consecutive dividend growth years over 10 years. Buyback yield, a positive 1.1 versus a negative, a negative 7.4. Uh, look at the balance sheet, very important. Current ratio, 1.1 versus two. Okay, not quite as good. Debt to equity, 1.2 versus one. Yeah, a little bit higher. We like, if it gets to 1.3, 1.4, we'd say, eh, I might have a little problem there, but so far we're looking okay. This is one number I don't understand. Net profit margin could be because it's a REIT, 58.5 versus 12.9. I would kind of like, kind of look into that a little bit deeper. Return on equity, 10.5 versus 1.8. That is good. Return on invested capital, 4.6 versus 2.9. Again, positive numbers. Chase, what do you got? Just real quick, too, on the, the net margin. <laughs> the reason it looks weird is a lot of times these REITs, they, they sell off properties. So I don't want to say don't look at earnings, but you yeah. want to always, as we talk about, look at FFO because it gives you more of an understanding of their rents versus expenses. Because if they sell a building, that's not going to happen again this year or next year, perhaps. And their earnings may appear inflated. But I, I will say, too, on that tangible book value at 0.5, I believe many times the book value understates the value of real estate because what happens is they have that purchase price of the, the land, the buildings that they have. They depreciate that. Yep. So many times if they were to go sell an asset, they're actually going to get more for that asset than what they're carrying on the books because they've depreciated over time. So they're not actually carrying it on the market value. So I believe many times, and there are gonna be situations where they did make a bad investment, but by 100%, I, yeah. I, I mean, they're, they're discounting <clears throat> their 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 buys plus the depreciation by 50%. I, I, that, that tell, I think it's, it's completely misplaced. So, so to kind of summarize what you're saying, that's actually worse, or it's, it could be actually better because that's based on the book value not the market value. So if this company were to say, okay, we, get, we need to raise assets, okay, we gotta sell XYZ Hospital, uh, they could be carrying the books at uh, $10 million, but actually they sell it, it's worth $15 million because the land and everything else. Yeah. So much better position than, than we, yeah. And then also point. too, what that does is it understates the debt to equity because they yeah. have used depreciation to write off those assets and so forth, so it, it suppresses that, that equity as well. So a little bit of accounting when you have to kind of look through yep. it, but it, it just, it just blows my mind that, I mean, these guys would have had to make terrible investment decisions <laughs> to, to have that low of a, a book value. Well, looking at the current price for MPW, it is $7.53. I see the 52-week high here, $21.63, and the low, $7.10. Now, we go out to December 2024. I do see estimated 
FFO of $1.64. It would give us a target sell price here at $27.22. I mean, it, this read is a tremendous value. I mean, you right. definitely want to look through it and make sure that that everything is kosher, that everything's good with the, the business model and so forth. But the, the numbers are very appealing, to say the least. And, and, Chase, I know when you look at FFO, you're looking at something different. Does that show, like, the trend, what it's been in the last 90 days? I mean, because no, it doesn't. It, it doesn't, yeah. Because uh, I, I think it's gone down somewhat, uh, is my understanding. Because I, I can see the earnings here, which are, are lower than what the FFO is, because FFO takes out the depreciation. But the earnings have dropped uh, from a dollar twenty-four down to a dollar nine. So still, I mean, th th this has been beaten up tremendously. And with all those shorts, one thing that could happen is that if they need to start covering. You can see this stock drop, or not drop, pop, uh, 10, 20, maybe even 25%. Yeah. And, and I mean, another thing I look at too is called AFFO. It's adjusted mm -hmm. funds from operations because what that does, it backs out what's known as straight line rents. What yep. happens is when you have these REITs, they account for straight line rent. So let's say you have a, a building you're renting, for example, and over that 12 month period, you don't pay rent for six months, but then the back half, you start paying rent. Well, they take the average of the rent for the straight line, but that's not a real good gauge of cash flow because you didn't get cash flow for right. six months. So kind of backing that out gives you an even better idea of cash flow. That's something I'd want to look at for this read as well. Hey, and I have to say, understanding what this business does, you know, and this is very quick here, uh, they're hospitals, surgical centers. Uh, it, it's not going to be replaced by technology. It's not a commodity where it's oil where it could drop. I mean, this this company, this REITs is dealing in something that is very tangible, uh, and also, too, we have an aging population, which I think the the amount of healthcare is going to go up, which gives them even more profit. So you may have to be patient with this one here. Um, and, and I think with the FFO, you said was a dollar sixty three. I think you said or dollar sixty four. Dollar sixty four. I don't see why they'd cut that dividend. I think the dividend cost them. I I, I didn't see here. I think it cost them like a dollar forty. <clears throat> so they've got that dividend covered. Yeah, and, and I mean the concern around these. Reads many times is the rising interest rates, and I, I think right now too is I, I, I'm going to say these shorts I think have gotten a little lucky because I think a lot of these investors are just throwing everything out right now, and they're concerned over commercial lending essentially with the issues surrounding the small banks, right. and I think people are just dumping reads because of that concern, but not all real estate's created equal essentially. I mean, it just I think these shorts, as you said, if if it is not company specific and all of a sudden the industry starts to reverse and people aren't as worried about it. Now their their short idea is right. not working out as well and they got to cover and as you said it, it could go up very very quickly. And, and, and he also does ask about you know should he add to it uh, to this position at 3.8 percent. It's kind of hard to say we don't know what the rest of the portfolio is. I will say can't see any reason why not to add to it but it really depends on your portfolio allocation what else is there. But um, yeah if it, I, I mean, this looks extremely, extremely good. So. And I think we said uh, <clears throat> great things about it last week, too. I, our feeling hasn't changed yeah, on it. So, I mean, changed. it's, a, it's, a, it's a good, I think it's a good REIT. And, and, and that's why we check the numbers on our companies every week, because if things do change, we see it. Now, we if you call them for a company, we say, yeah, it looks great this week. And then next week, we're not going to look at it. It could have changed. So you got to kind of watch these things yourself. When we tell you, you, you still need to kind of keep looking at it. All right. <clears throat> Phone numbers here, 833 Two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Uh, let's go out to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? 
Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Well, good, good. I saw your topic today, home buying versus renting. So I want to get uh, your twist. You know, you, we're investment advisors, Chase and I, and you're the financial planner. So I want to get your 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 twist on the uh, home buying versus renting, what your thoughts are. All right, perfect. So I've had a lot of clients and a lot of friends considering if it's a good idea to buy a house. Um, you hear a lot, well, when you're renting, you're just throwing money away or you're paying someone else's mortgage, which isn't the whole story. Um, I'm not pro or anti real estate. For me, it always comes down to the numbers as it should. So I wanted to take a look at an example because there's pros and cons to both. <clears throat> so let's consider the fact that you can rent a home for $4,000 a month. And if you were to buy that same home, it might cost you a million dollars to purchase it. So with that home purchase, you don't just have a mortgage, you've got property taxes, property insurance, maybe mortgage insurance, um, you've got maintenance and upkeep. So if you put 10% down or $100,000, you could be looking at a total cost of around $8,500 per month, which includes that upkeep because houses need that. So on the one hand, you're renting for $4,000 a month or you're buying a home of similar caliber for $100,000 down and $8,500 a month. So when you commit to buying a home, you need that home to appreciate in value to make up for the extra down payment and monthly payment you're making to it. The flip side of that is that when you rent, you have no down payment and an extra $4,500 a month in cash flow that you need to be saving and investing. So buying a house is not a lateral move, and if it was, buying would you know make a lot more sense. But when you're renting, you can keep that down payment invested and you can you know save that extra $4,500 a month, which if you can't do that, you probably can't afford the house in the first place, whether it's a good idea or not. Um, and then when you do buy, the hope is that the appreciation from that home and the equity you get from paying down the mortgage is enough to offset the fact that you're putting so much more money into it. And based on our little example here, we can calculate how much appreciation in that home we would need. So in this case, it comes out to around 5.5% per year in appreciation you need on that home to break even versus what you could be doing on the renting side. So if you don't think home prices from here are going to appreciate at at least 5.5%, then it financially makes more sense to rent because you can keep that down payment and save monthly uh, difference. And, and, and you bring up so many different points for people. And the, the one that I kind of look at as well, that's very important that people forget this about the difference. You, you said it's about a $4,500 difference. You need to save that money or invest that money. I always say, especially, because I've seen people, I can buy a house, I can't put my 401k any longer. You, you're now missing a tax deduction for putting that 4,500 into your 401k or your IRA, which again, there's some numbers here that you'll sur surpass that. Um, and what I also consider too is that right now, what is it, 250,000 single, 500,000 jointly, you get tax free if you sell the home? Mm -hmm. Is that so? Okay. So, what if they change that law down the road? Which I think, you know, the government, we got this big deficit. What if five years down the road they, they do that? Well, well, now it's now capital gain. Uh, you know, they can't take away the fact from you, you got that deduction on the 401k, the IRA, but they can take away future things on the real estate side. And there's just so many factors you bring up that I, I, I don't think people really think through this. It's a very emotional buy. I mean, and it is exciting. I bought a few houses myself over my lifetime. It is very exciting. But when you step back, look at the numbers that you just did, maybe it's not the right thing to do. Well, and the, the thing, too, just to parlay off the <clears> 401k, <throat> is if you stop the 401k investment, 
and your company offers you a match. Oh. I will tell you, 100% of the time, you are wrong. You are not building. You cannot. The home is not going to appreciate by 100%. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, if you can buy the home and still afford the 401k match, I'm going to say the argument makes a little more sense, but it, it's still a 5.5% uh, appreciation rate. I'm sure, Harrison, you, you, you looked at the different numbers there and so forth, so I'm going to take that 5.5%. I don't see homes appreciating at 5.5% per year over the next 10 years. I, I think there's just no way that occurs. And, and Harrison, you also brought up the thing, too, like people say, oh, just throwing your money away. I'm sure a realtor came up with that because it's just like <laughs> you, there is a cost for living, and either you rent or you you know, buy a home. That's a cost of living. It's not throwing money away, uh, but it's, it, it is like, oh, I'm just throwing my money away by paying rent. No, you're you're paying rent to live in a, in a, a nice place, probably. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. the other and thing, another, go ahead, Harrison. I was going to say, another way to look at it is, again, of that $8,500 a month, let's say, that's just going toward the house, um, you are, some of that is going to the mortgage, which is paying down the principal balance. But, you know, based on where interest rates are at right now, um, of that $8,500 a month, less than $800 of that is actually reducing the principal amount. So less than 10% of your cash flow amount is, is going to the equity in that home. So that's why you need that appreciation because of that $8,500, the other over $7,700 a month of that is just pure expense versus renting at $4,000 a month. So that difference you know, gives you a lot more cash flow on the renting side to save and invest. So that's why, you know, you need appreciation. And with home buying, you're leveraging it. So, you know, if you do have appreciation, there there can be return there. But the point is you need appreciation. If we're in a situation where we're not getting appreciation or home prices are even going to be going down, well, now you're putting a huge down payment and a lot of extra monthly money into an asset that is leveraged to be, you know, not going anywhere. And the other thing too, people don't realize that the loans amortize. And I think it's uh, over 10 or 15 years after paying 10 or 15 years, you might know a better answer to this. I think you've only paid down about 30% of your loan. It's not very much over 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely, during the first part of it, it it's almost all going to interest, especially now the interests are high. So, um, yeah, in the first 10 years, maybe, maybe 30% of the loan is paid up. I think it's probably not even that much. Um, I think it's probably less than that. You know, I think if somebody's going to buy a home, they should know the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, another thing people say is that, you know, you, you, you don't want to buy a home as an investment. You know, you're, you're making a home out of it, which, you know, maybe there is some truth to that. But, you know, people were also saying that when you could buy homes for $200,000. When you're buying a million dollar home, yeah, you want to make it a home, but it also has to make a lot of financial sense because it's such a huge um, capital requirement in order to do it. Right, right. So, yeah, and, and there are reasons for buying a home, but it's just uh, when you look at the numbers, eh, there's probably a better time to buy and maybe a time that maybe you shouldn't buy. And that's all we're trying to lay out for people is really think about before you make that big purchase. And uh, I'd say Harris and I are probably... I'm not going to say pro real estate, less right. anti real estate than you is what I'm going to say. <laughs> but when I look at it is is there will be a time to buy again. I, I'm not going to say I'm oh, never yeah. going to buy a home. There's going to be a time where the, it, it comes down to the reason we wanted to point that out is the cash flow. That right. That is the big, big thing that you got to look at when, when buying real estate there. Yeah. And, and I just kind of look at that with me buying a home. There's other things I can do that can give me better appreciation, better money. Cash flow. Cash flow. Uh, then buy that home. 
and and also too i'm i'm i don't have kids you know i'm not raising a family so so it is different um but there, there could be a time that i i find something really great that's a great deal and that's the only time i'll buy it. it's like wow that's a great deal i can't pass that up there's i won't go into details of our neighborhood there was a great deal a few years ago that like wow i can't believe the house sold for that amount yeah yeah i don't want to tell people where i live but yeah so anyways uh harrison thank you very much and uh, these are things you look at when you do financial planning for people is you actually go and deep detailed uh, different things like this. So thanks for calling in and sharing this morning. All right. Thanks guys. We'll see you on Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, again, as Harrison Johnson, our CFP, our financial planner, he does do a free consultation where I sit down with him to see if you need a financial plan and what he does talk about. It is free. Just give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. Again, that's 858 4306 or go to the website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com all right phone numbers here all lines are open 833-288-0973 that's 833-288-0973 let's go back to our emails here we got one from zach uh, he says uh hi chase and brent i was wondering if you guys could comment on retail in general in terms of the outlook over the next year or two and then I'm Best Buy. I hold a small percentage, but it's down quite a bit. <clears throat> they do pay a nice dividend. Their PE is lower than the industry, and the return on equity is pretty solid. By the way, thanks to Brent for going over Devon, uh, Devon Energy a few weeks ago. You're welcome. Time permitting, of course. Well, <clears throat> let's take a look at um, <clears throat> Best Buy here first, and then we'll talk, well, maybe we'll talk about, a little about the retail sector. Oh, I had it pulled up already. That's nice. Let's look at Best Buy. Symbol is BBY in the specialty retail area. Uh, float on the short, only 6.9, that's not bad. Look at the P ratio, it is a good start here, uh, Zach. It's at 11.8 versus 22. Uh, price to sales, 0.4 versus 0.7. Price to tangible book value, 13.3, compared to the industry at not material, nothing there. And then price to cash flow, 9.2 versus 10.6, and no peg ratio, unfortunately. So the valuation ratios look pretty good. Now, we do see over the past year, earnings per share fell by 36.1% when the industry was up 24.4. Zach, I'd want to know why Best Buy, their, their earnings fell by 36%. What did they do there? Their sales also down 10.6%, industry up 26.7%. Why did their sales fall? Here's another problem. The five-year growth rate from the analysts is a negative 7.5% when the industry shows a positive 6%. So what is going on there? Um, kind of some strange things here you really got to look into. You do get a nice dividend, though, 5% dividend yield, uh, payout ratio 55.8%. Uh, they paid that uh, dividend for 10 consecutive years. Buyback yield is 6.2%, pretty good. Uh, look at the balance sheet, current ratio 1 versus 1.4, that's okay. Debt to equity 1.4 versus 10.6. That 1.4 is kind of the, the top limit for us, but you really got to look at the balance sheet to see what kind of debt it, the, the debt is the equity, what's going on there. Net profit margin, 3.1, about the same as the industry at 3.2. We turn on equities, 50.8 versus 40.6 or 46.2. And then we turn on invested capital, 21.1 versus 19.9. So those numbers look pretty good. Chase, what do you got going forward? I'm just going to speculate a little bit here sure. on Best Buy. Uh, I believe probably part of the reason they're not doing that well is you walk into Best Buy, what are some of the things you see? PCs, televisions. Appliances, all three of those categories, what happened? COVID, they were booming. Yeah, yeah. And then the pullback 
kind of happened quite drastically in all, all three of those fields. So um, I think that probably could be part of it. But again, you'd, you'd want to dive down into the numbers. But I'd assume all three of those categories are quite prominent in Best Buy sales. And, and that's one thing you have to kind of look at. And I'm going to let you finish the numbers, but just so I don't get the thought is that you're coming off a peak. Yep. So you can't say it's a bad company. You have to say that was a, and you almost have to go back to like maybe 2019 to see what it was. Cause you, and I've said this before, many things, the economy and, and many factors, companies, <clears throat> they're well ahead of where they were in 2019, but not the peak of the COVID situation. Yeah. So, yeah. But looking at the numbers here for <coughs> Best Buy, current price $74.32. It has fallen a decent amount from that 52 week high of $100.93. And the low is $60.78. I see year to date down about 6.2%. This is pretty interesting, though. You look at the 10 year return for Best Buy, 343.9%, handedly outpacing the SP 500 at 207.2%. So, Best Buy has been a great long term hold after over the last decade. Going forward, though, for Best Buy, I go out to January 2025. They do report on a fiscal basis rather than a calendar year. I see estimated earnings per share is $7.08. It does give us a target sell price of $117.53. So, I mean, the, the valuation level is definitely there for, for a Best Buy. And, and I do see over the last nine days that earnings estimates fallen by about 11, about 11% or so. So, it, it is coming down. But still looking at the business, you know, it was, what, 623 in 2024, uh, <clears throat> it's still going in the right direction. You're not paying that much for it. Uh, and one thing I remember years ago, oh, Best Buy is done because everything over the internet. That has not happened. I mean, I, I still like going into Best Buy to touch and buy something. And I think, I forget the term they used for it, but there, there was a concern. And I remember this was back in like 2015, 2016, that people were going into Best Buy looking to see what they wanted. And then they were going on Amazon to buy it. Right. And I think what Best Buy did is said we'll match the price on Amazon. Yeah, so, which, which made a big difference. Yeah, because yeah. so. I like going in to actually see things a lot of times, especially if you're making a, an investment like a computer. I like to talk to somebody about it. I don't know anything about computers. So it's kind of nice to have somebody to talk to when you are at the uh, Best Buy store there and you know kind of help guide you on some of those decisions. Yep. And as far as the retail sector goes, I mean – it's such a wide open question. Yeah. There's retail that we like. We, we do kind of prefer companies that kind of make their own products. We'll, we'll call it that way. Um, but it doesn't mean to say that a Best Buy or a Walmart uh, or Target is a bad buy. Um, I, it, it, it just takes so much to really understand what's going on, on, on in that industry. I will say clothing, I think, is much higher risk at the yeah. department stores because a lot of the brands now have gone direct to consumer. But I think the reason Best Buy still does well is you don't really see, like Apple obviously does have its own stores, but they still have a presence within a Best Buy, is I think people like going into Best Buy to kind of test and feel and actually see things, where at the retail side of the equation, it's like, ah, if I want Nike, I'm just going to go to Nike now. I don't need to go to the store to get Nike. Right. I know how Nike fits me. I know what Nike looks like. I think that's where retail has kind of changed quite a bit, but I think a Best Buy is a little bit safer in that regard. When you're when you're buying these big appliances, you're buying TVs, you're buying computers. I, I know at least myself, I I want to go into the store and kind of see it before I buy it many times. Yeah, and that's why we like to buy <clears throat> many times a brand. Yeah, because you can buy that brand at the store, discount store, mm -hmm. uh, or online. Doesn't matter to us. Don't care where you buy it. But sometimes you get like a what what does kind of worry me is is the um, uh, what are they called Abercrombie and Fitch stuff yeah. like that. Eh, I don't know. 
Yeah, and I, I will say, I Best Buy, I'm not like, wow, it's great, I'm so excited about it, because they, they still could be at risk, where again, Apple's like, you know, we don't need to sell in Best Buy anymore. They right. pull out. Microsoft, same thing, they pull out. Mm-hmm. That, that to me, is the big risk in these, these type of retailers that uh, you don't get with buying the brand name. Yep. All right, I, I look over, we got, uh, all of a sudden, a lot of calls came in, so let's see who was first here. It looks like we're going out to San Diego and speak with Sean. Sean, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Uh, hey, guys. How's it going? Um, yeah, I called in. Good. I called in about a month, month and a half ago and asked you about gold. Um, anyways, this is not about that. I have two questions. I don't know if I should ask you one, two, or just one and then two after you answer, but here it goes. Um, uh, Nikki Haley the other day uh, was talking about wanting to increase the retirement age from age 62 to 64. Now, the only reason I can think of why governments do this or why we would want to do this is because the economy is hurting and it's going to be hurting even more so, and this is a way to generate more money and maybe to invest this money. So my question is, why does Nikki Haley want to increase the retirement age from age 62 to 64? And should I wait to ask my second question? Yeah, yeah let's handle that one first, uh, sure. one at a time. Sure. Uh, one thing I think it could be, and again, you're kind of catching us cold on that. It's almost a political question, but I think part of the reason could be is that we don't have enough workers to, to be in the workforce. Uh, we need more workers, and so like if you increase the retirement age from 62 to 64, that means you got two more years of people working. Uh, I'm above that age. I'll probably be working for another 20 years, but it's just the longer you work, the, the more you be in the workforce. I'm going to take a different angle on that. Sure. I'm, I'm not a politician, but my belief is that we should increase the retirement age because it's for Social Security. Yeah. And Social Security, we know, is at risk of running out of money because we're having essentially less people pay into the system and more people take from it. We haven't adjusted the retirement age in years. So you have this longer life expectancy and people taking more money out of it. Now, I think they need to be smart about it. And all of a sudden, if you're 61, say, oh, sorry, you're planning on retiring next year. You're <laughs> yeah. screwed. But yeah, I, right. I, I do think they need to have some type of phase into that system because we need to come up with some way. Because especially if life expectancy keeps increasing, we cannot keep the retirement age at 62. We will drain Social Security. We will have to increase taxes to pay for that program, which I, I think would not be a wise decision. And it parlay off of that as well, because when Social Security first came out, the life expectancy was, I believe, like in the 60s. I think it's now around 80. So it is a problem. And so Uh, you are living in retirement a lot longer than before. So, yeah, maybe it's two years longer, but you'll be in retirement longer. So, yeah, there's many reasons why it could make sense. So. Okay. Can I ask for a second question? Sure. I promise it'll be real quick. Sure. Okay. Um, I've been wondering this for actually, I'm 58, uh, for decades, and I'm asking this for the first time uh, for, to anyone. Uh, why does the stock market not trade on weekends? Is there more than one reason? Uh, I, I, I've I th- always wondered. I think because everybody needs breaks. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they want the weekend off. Yeah. I don't have the answer for you on that one. I'm, I'm stumped. <laughs> I, I, I think because it's one of these things that's always been that way. I mean, the stock market's been around for a long time. And, and, and yeah, they, they, they want to have the weekends off. I mean, now with technology, it probably could trade through the weekend, trade at night and so forth. I've actually heard talks about that, but it's just, it, it's not really needed. Not much is going to change, especially for for Chase and I. We're, we're long-term investors. We don't care if we got to wait till Monday to buy XYZ yeah. or bought it on Saturday morning. You know, so uh, I don't think the need is really there. Um, yeah. yeah, as fundamentally, you look at what you're doing with a stock. Is you're you're buying a small piece of a large company. You're buying into that business essentially. Is it, it shouldn't 
change your perspective on Saturday morning to Monday right. morning. Yeah. But right. okay. I, I don't know why they do that okay. that way. Yeah, I, I yeah. think it's just the old school because it used to be really hard to trade stocks. I mean, back 50 years ago, I mean, it wasn't so yeah. easy, you know, so that's that's probably why, and, you know, so I, I just don't okay. see that. Yeah. All right, Sean. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, guys. Have All a right. great day. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Uh, I was going to, let's see, because uh, we got what? We got time to take a quick call. We got two minutes. We got two minutes. I believe. Um, I tried to put in for. Uh, let me see. Do I got the wrong symbol here for Doug? I, I want to look at it before I do it because I want to call on and just kind of uh, go on here. But I think we got the wrong symbol for for Doug here. Uh, it looks like it'd be an ADR. Yeah. Let's see if I can pull anything up before I bring Doug on air. See if anything comes up. The right one because it looks like he's calling about bear. Um, so let's see here. Uh, are we getting anything? Yeah, I think we're getting it. So, so let's go out quickly to uh, Doug and Tarasana. Doug, you're on the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Well, um, yeah, you, you were t I wanted to ask you about Bayer. It is an ADR. It's a German company. Um, it's a, they're, they're big, and they've been around for a very, very long time. Um, their, uh, uh, their PE looks good right now, uh, and you know, they're, they're very diversified. Uh, but they do have one uh, one big problem, and that, and that is they bought Monsanto a few years back, and they inherited all the Roundup uh, uh, litigation. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. And, and and just looking quickly, because I don't have a lot of time, I, I, I do see you're right. I mean, they have a great P.E. ratio, 13 versus 19. Uh, their earnings per share are up 313% over the last year. That's kind of strange when sales are only 15%. Pay a nice dividend, 4.2%. Use 47% of their earnings to pay that out. Uh, their balance sheet, current ratio, 1.1 versus 1.3. Debt to equity, 1.1 versus 1.4. Um, Chase, you seeing anything? Return on equity is 10.7. That's a little bit low for me. Do you see yeah, I mean, the valuations look good, to, uh, kind of just in the past, but going forward as well. I mean, the current price here for bears, $15.03. 52-week high is $18.45. The lows, $11.41. I see if you go out to December 2024, the estimated earnings per share is $2.05. That's a forward multiple of 7.3. I will say, though, there's just one analyst. I see this a lot with oh, ADRs. Yeah. It's, it's kind of strange. I don't like when, obviously, there's just one analyst because it, it can move a lot if yeah. they change their mind on that that target estimate there. Uh, I will say as well, the intangible is at 51%. If they inherit all that roundup issue, if they mm -hmm. have to write things down, that could increase that debt to equity and become problematic. So it's definitely a higher risk one that I would need to spend more time on. But the uh, the valuations look intriguing. I don't know if it's necessarily worth the risk, though. And, and Doug, don't forget about the currency risk because it's a foreign company in ADR. So if you know currency moves, that could move against you. The company could be doing great. Currency moves in the wrong direction. Now you won't do so well. Uh, it depends how much they have in different yeah. areas. Uh, so I'd want to understand the breakdown of sales yeah. across countries because it, it is trades in U.S. dollars. That's the nice thing about an ADR. It's not trading on like the German exchange. Yeah, because it's a German company. So yeah, I, I guess it depends on where they actually trade. So uh, you said you own it or looking at buying it. Uh, no, I would I would be looking at buying it. Yeah, I, those are things that I kind of look at because there's a lot to it. They've got my saying before we do that. There's a closing bell, unfortunately. So thanks for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational person only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858 
646-436-4306. And be sure to visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. A lot of great information there, like the newsletter, uh, podcasts, many different things there. Again, smartinvesting2000.com. Have a great uh, day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. I did all that. 